on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Metro Ford of OKC. We've got an interview with OU legend Ryan Broyles. We talked to Ryan about his fantastic OU career and the success he's found after his NFL career was cut short by injuries. We also give you the latest OU football updates, including Joe Castiglione announcing that they are planning on full capacity in the fall. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. I'm man Michael Hosty. will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's beautiful Thursday, March 11th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Metro Ford of OKC. Metro Ford of OKC's inventory is the best of the best. In fact, they own more Black Widows and more 2021 F-150s than anybody else. They're the only Roush and Rocky Ridge dealer in the state. You can find a ride at Metro Ford of OKC that you can't find anywhere else in the state of Oklahoma. Just like their selection of vehicles is unmatched, so is their customer service. The Metro Ford of OKC difference program is included with the purchase of every new and pre-owned vehicle. It includes free oil changes for life, lifetime window tint, lifetime nitrogen fill for your tires, complimentary wheel locks, interior fabric protection, complimentary service loaners, a complimentary shuttle with service, and a complimentary multi-point inspection. Come feel the performance when you test drive a Roush or a Raptor and come see, see why the difference is real at Metro Ford of OKC. Visit MetroFordofOKC.com for more information or go to the dealership and tell them we sent you. Now, we are recording this a few nights early. I am on vacation in Hawaii, but once again, we, we refuse to let you people down. <laughs> Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know who you want us to try to get on the podcast. And on this episode, we have, in my opinion, I don't know if he's the best wide receiver ever at OU, but he certainly he was unbelievably productive and arguably the best player that I played with at OU. Ted, we've got Ryan Broyles on this episode. And it's fantastic. And I don't – that – question right there becomes more and more difficult with every passing year who's the best wide receiver ever at Oklahoma and Ryan Broyles definitely has his claim to that position so fantastic stuff from him man just an an awesome guy a very interesting guy that's got a really fascinating story yeah hell of a football player is doing pretty well for himself now Mm -hmm. with the real estate and finance stuff so really fun conversation with Ryan, before we get to that interview, we got some OU updates. Let's start here, Ted. Uh, with it being season ticket renewal time, Joe Castiglione has announced that OU is planning on having a full capacity Gaylord Family Oklahoma Memorial Stadium this fall. The phrase Joe C used was cautiously 
optimistic. And this clearly has a lot to do with all the positive news we are seeing with coronavirus numbers and the production of the vaccine being ramped up. But Ted, we assumed that this would be the case. We knew the announcement was coming soon, but it is so damn nice to actually hear it from Joe Castiglione's mouth. It made me so happy. I could not stop smiling when the statement was put out. I cannot wait for that place to be full again. It, it wasn't the same last year, and I'm just so happy that things are on track for that place to be rocking again in the fall. Thank God. Uh, I agree 100%. And, and you've said this several times, college football, what makes it exciting is the atmosphere. And it's still great, still a great product without the atmosphere. But, man, it just just makes it so much more special. And I can't wait for, I can't wait for the fans to be able to get out of their caves and come out and enjoy a football game together and, and have fun up there and watch a great team. But for the players, I mean, there's guys on this team that have never played in front of 85,000 people, you know, contributors. Spencer Rattler, great quarterback as a freshman, you know, and, and he got to see full stadiums as a redshirt, but – He's never seen a full OU Texas and what that means and how different that is. So I'm excited for those guys because, gay, I mean, we played a lot of football. One of the best things that you ever do is run out of the locker room and boom, there's 85,000 people screaming. It's, it's one of the coolest experiences you can ever have. So running out of the tunnel is incredible. Crowd goes crazy. My favorite thing was walking out as the captain. Heck yeah. Walking out, and I know you know the feeling, but just walking out, and there's three or four of you, and every single buddy, every single person in that stadium is looking at you, walk on the field like you're a Billy Badass. That was the best feeling for me. Now, of course, running out of the tunnel, that, that's great. Everyone's going crazy. But just like that moment where you're like, yeah, I'm the captain. What's up? Like, that's feel like William Wallace walking around out oh, there, right? Oh, the best, man. It's great. But no, there's no doubt. I, I totally, you know, I was thinking about the fans when the announcement was made. But, Ted, that's a great point about the players. Just think about a guy like Marvin Mims, who just had a spectacular true freshman year. But he's catching touchdowns in that stadium. And, I mean, there's some cheers, but – I can't wait for those guys to feel the hair on the back of their neck stand up because of the noise, because of the cheering. Like that's it, it makes football so much more fun yeah. when the fans are going nuts and there's just we talk about it all the time, but that atmosphere, I, I can't wait for those kids, especially with what they had to deal with last year, Ted. Those kids are gonna love it. it it's gonna make it so much more fun and enjoyable. I mean, think about OU Texas. You know, that game is built up to be so huge. And last year was a fantastic game. Don't get me wrong. And the atmosphere actually ended up being pretty cool. But I bet there was guys that went to that game and were like, that was a good game. I mean, that was cool. But what's the big deal? Wait till they drive in and they have to get the horse escort through the masses of people and see what that stadium looks like. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be really cool for those guys all, like just to experience it at a different level. 
it's weird to go to OU Texas empty and then go and see it what it's like in its full glory. It's so stupid. You and I both can't stop smiling talking about <laughs> like we're, we're just sitting here like little kids like let's go fans are back it's gonna be crazy it's it is it is the best thing about college football so i'm uh, i'm pumped for the fans i'm pumped for the players hopefully everything keeps trending in the right direction and we'll see eighty five thousand plus there at gaylord family oklahoma memorial stadium okay a couple other ou things ou will start spring ball march 22nd so that'll be their first spring practice. Now, they still haven't nailed down the date for the spring game. Those conversations are still ongoing. I've been told a couple different dates, but they haven't decided yet. It's looking like late April, but I thought it was interesting that Joe Ciardi came out and said that they will cap attendance at 25% for the spring game, Ted. Now, that's still a big number. Right, you're you're still going to be you, you still can have twenty thousand or so people, but I thought that they would try to get as many people in that thing as possible. And I know that we're all still trying to be smart with the coronavirus variants and all that stuff that's starting to come out about that stuff, and people are worried. Like I get it, but I was hoping they would let as many people as possible come because I have no idea how many people would have showed up. I I bet fifty something thousand would have showed up, but I understand why they are doing the 25% cap. They're, they're still just trying to be as safe as possible and protect as many people as they can. So I, I, I get it, but I kind of wish it was more. I'm not going to lie. But 25%, right. it's great. Well, I'm curious to see what, if anyone does say, like bring it on for their spring game and and open it all the way up and see how many people just show up. I mean – Big, big schools like Oklahoma, you know, in the, some of the SEC schools have really nice crowds for their spring game. But Alabama sells it out, man. Yeah. 100,000. I, I wonder if that's going to happen. I, I, would, I would bet that nobody does it. Why this early maybe ruin the whole thing? And, and I, I don't think that that would happen, that all of a sudden a breakout would happen from from a football game uh, being highly attended. I don't think that would, but there's no reason to risk it for a, a spring game to where right. people could start really throwing questions at what you plan to do in the fall. So I think it's smart. I think it's expected. And um, 25% still a nice attendance for a, sp- a spring game. You're still talking about, you know, 20 plus thousand people. So. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure they will be every single person they'll allow in that thing. I, Cause I, I feel like fans are just going to want to go to something yeah. so badly. Like, and if there is the opportunity we'll see what the date ends up being for the spring game. But uh, I feel like a lot of fans that may be, maybe kind of hard to get a spring game ticket this year, which is something right. I thought I, uh, I never thought I would say that. No, it's, it is interesting because, and, and I'm also curious to see, you know, one of the big reasons they've they've kind of gone all out for spring games is because it's been the the real, you know, centerpiece of the new recruiting schedule. Like this is one of the big big things that you have, and it's going to now be a dead period. So I'm anxious to see how they approach it. Do they still kind of try the concert thing? Just what exactly is it going to look like, or is it going to be like? 
kind of the the more traditional spring games where we're talking about a glorified practice and there's going to be people in the stands. Okay, so from what I've been told, the classic phrase right there, from what I've been told, <laughs> I do think that OU staff is looking to do something in the month of June. Now they're still trying to work some things out because remember, dead period runs through the month of May. And if they are able to have recruits on campus, I think they are trying, currently trying to plan and work out the details with compliance and things about doing some sort of June event, like a big recruiting event to kind of They've replace barbecues that have, that have turned yeah. out to, to be really, turned out really well. Right? Yeah. yeah. So they, uh, they've talked about some cool stuff too, from what I've been told. So we'll see how it works out, but exciting that spring ball is on, uh, you know, on track to get going this month. Exciting that the spring game is going to happen 25% capacity, but nothing more exciting than the fact that we are on track for full stadiums in the fall one last OU thing OU pro day going to be this Friday March 12th and the participants are Trey Brown Adrian Ely Dylan Famatau coming back for a little like uh, yeah hey keep trying Dylan keep it going man uh, Creed Humphrey Kenneth Mann Trey Norwood Ronnie Perkins and Ramondre Stevenson and Ted with no NFL combine this kind of feels like the most important OU Pro Day of all time because this is their one shot. You talk about a lot of pressure on these kids. What we haven't seen now, sometimes when guys don't get invited to the combine, they've got that type of pressure on them on Pro Day. But you look at all these guys, like what, six of them would have been invited to combine. So this is a, uh, this is a big moment for these guys. It is, and I, I, it's interesting to, to wonder what the preparation is going to be like because it's been a much more lower-key, um, typical offseason than maybe most guys would typically have, you know, and, and everyone's typically usually has their head down and, and is gearing up for the combine really well. Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating. You know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how some of these guys like Ronnie Perkins is starting to show up on people's draft board as a possible late first round, second round type of guy. I don't know. I have no clue how he'll test. I don't know that he's going to burn some amazing 40 or hit some incredible number on bench press or. Or brought, I, I don't know how he's going to test. You would think that he would test well, but I, don't, I just don't know. I, the one thing I, I know about this group is that Trey Brown's going to burn a 40. That's the only, only thing that I know. Okay. Everything else to me is like, I'll wait and see. Okay, so the Pro Day, pro day stuff inspired all, our uh, Call Your Shot question. And we threw it out there on Twitter on the uh, the podcast Twitter. If you don't follow us, you should. Go follow our Twitter, at OK underscore breakdown. And we asked y'all, what is your boldest prediction for a few of the guys that will go through OU Pro Day? So, Kurt Crawford, five, says Ronnie Perkins will test well and force someone to move up late in the first round to take him. 
he absolutely destroyed Cosme and Jenkins, which are both projected day two picks. That is kind of true. Um, at Freedom Nader, free oh free Dominator maybe I don't know how to say it, but sweet handle man. He says Norwood and Ely don't test well. Perkins dominates. Ramaje comes through amazingly flat. I don't even know what what does that mean. Amazingly flat, like skinny. I guess, huh? Comes through amazingly flat. Maybe supposed to be fast, but I don't know. Autocorrect. Who knows? Okay, but the real question is, what's Trey Brown going to run the forty? I know you've got some inside information, kind of what to expect time wise. What What do you think? I actually don't have inside information, but um. I watched him chase down one of the fastest guys uh, to play in the Big 12 in a long time. I remember the f- the first time I saw him play. I think it was either a, I think it was a kickoff uh, return or a putt return in a in a in a big time high school game, and I was like, "Whoa, this dude can fly, and he can he can actually uh, he can burn." There's been a couple of corners out there run some sub four threes already. I feel like he's going to be knocking on the door. Low four three, maybe faster. And if he does that with his senior bowl performance, he's got a chance of of climbing the draft boards, man. He really does. Yeah. I I've I've been trying to think about what would be a disappointing time. For Trey Brown, because right, we we've been anticipating this for a couple years now, right? We just want to see the guy run a forty. He's an absolute burner. So, is it going to be one of those things where he goes like four four two, and we're like, eh, that's okay, yeah. which is lightning fast? But I I just don't know what to realistically expect. Like, is he gonna actually run in the four threes? That'd be amazing, but. I feel like that's the expectation is that he's going to be a four, three guy, which is unbelievably fast. It is. I'll tell you a couple of, uh, of things. He's he's you'll always run better at pro day. And I, the combine, there's a ton of things involved with why you run crappy. Uh, number one, I think they time you crappy and take the worst times. Uh, the preparation, the timing of everything, the nutrition, just the hours it's they just, just wear you down you're it's set awful. up to have your worst performance and i think there's some like some reason to that to see how you perform at your worst but they don't have that this year it's pro day whenever you're in your your comfortable spot surrounded by comfortable coaches uh you know you get ready in in your locker room you run on the same turf field that you've always run on you're you're gonna run a better time, so that is a, a big positive for Trey Brown. I I think yeah, I would say honestly, if he runs a four four, that will be a disappointment. I think that's I think that's legitimate. Four four is still burning fast, but he this is one of his key assets is his speed, and I think he would be disappointed if he didn't run a four three. A lot of pressure. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure. So I, we'll see. I'm sure it's going to be blazing fast. Are you going to be doing the pro yeah. day coverage? Yeah, we'll I be, would be we'll doing. Be covering but it. I'm going to be in Hawaii. Oops. 
you want to, if you really want to do it, we could trade spots. I'll come to Hawaii. Let me think about it and I'll get back to you. But <laughs> let me I ask will... you about Perkins real quick because I have no idea how he'll test. I, my guess is he's going to be uh, 6'2, maybe uh, he will not be 6'3. Maybe 250, 255. I would worry because I I think there's going to be pressure to put on a lot of weight for Ronnie Perkins. But I'm worried that if he puts on too much, he won't perform well. Low 4.7? I had had 4.7. I was going to ask you over under 4.7. I'm going to go over 47. I'm going to go, you know, 472 ish, which is That's a good if time. he if he measures between 250 or weighs between 250 and 255, 47, low 47s, you're just checking the box and yep. then you move on. You no longer worry about it. And if he's anywhere in between 47 and 48, I feel like he's fine, right? I think he I think he's fine. What about bench press? Over he under, I have it set at 25. Okay. He's got to do over 25. But then again, these guys haven't, and I don't know what the reason is, but it's not like the last couple of years, OU guys have been doing a ton of bench reps at the combine or at pro day. I don't know if maybe it's just been those guys. I don't know, but I'm going to go. I'm going to go under 25 for Ronnie under? Perkins. I think he's okay. going to hit 24 or 25. Um, broad, I had like 10 foot is kind of a good barometer. That for, I think for D line, that's pro- maybe I should lower that to like nine foot 10 or nine foot eight. Yeah, high nine over feet. Under. Yeah. If he I feel hits like that's, 10, an that's-, ex- that's an important measurement for him too because. He does have a really good get off, but they really want to see that explosiveness, that ability on the broad. So that that'll be important. I mean, it's all important, right? Since there's no combine, like this is what NFL teams are going to have to work off. But yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting day for Ronnie Perkins. And the the cool it's, thing it's about weird it, weird because we don't he, we don't he doesn't look like it on the field, but he's undersized. For the NFL. And typically my rule of thumb is if if you are if if you're not the traditional size, you better make for make up for it on the other end. Like for a defensive guy, if if you're undersized, you better make up for it in explosiveness, in strength. On the offensive side, if you're undersized, you better make up for it with quickness and speed. So I'm, I'm curious to see that if I'm a GM, I don't want to take an undersized guy if he doesn't check all the boxes as far as what we require at that position and give me a reason to go a little bit smaller. You know, I'll go a little smaller if I gain some, some speed and quickness and he still matches up strength-wise. Yeah, I'm hoping he tests well. I, I think it's important that he does. And I will say this, Creed Humphrey is going to test better than people think he's going to test. He is more athletic than people know. And I think he's going to run 
an impressive short shuttle and an impressive three cone. And one of the reasons I think that is Creed Humphrey has been texting me talking shit saying <laughs> he's going to beat my times, Uh-oh. which I had the best three cone and the best short shuttle of any offensive lineman on my combine. And he claims that he is going to beat both those times. I told him he is full of shit. He will not beat those times. But I did want to mention this because uh, I do think Creed's going to have a great pro day. Uh, he's doing his bench press for charity. So go to pledgeit.org slash Creed Humphrey, and you can donate to the uh, Saving Pets at Risk for each rep he does. I believe it's for his hometown there in Shawnee, and he's going to do a lot of reps. I was about to today. say – Pledge wisely. He could clean out your bank account if you put a uh, an extra zero on there, maybe. Go crazy, people. <laughs> put a big figure for each rep, but uh, he's he's going to have a big day. I thought that was really cool that he was going to you know give back, right? And especially, it's really good when it's animals. Uh, that that just people love animals. He had like a cute little dog on the announcement that he put out about it. It was it was great. Well done. Creed, well, but that's pledgeit.org slash Creed Humphrey, and you can donate to Saving Pets at Risk. I think it's I think it's fantastic. Uh, I think it's awesome. I'm going to donate. I'm trying to figure out what amount uh, I'm going to donate because, like I said, he could turn your lights out if you're not careful. But I think you should one-up this. If you've got a charity, put a wager on the line and tell him, okay, if you beat my times, here's what I'll donate to yours. If you don't beat my times, you've got to donate to mine. I like that idea. I got some text messages I need to send. Yeah. Kids, he, he's been talking noise, man. Coming at me. Coming at, I'm, just, I'm just a washed up guy. I'm just a retired guy trying to live my life. And he's at me, you know, sending me texts going, hey, I'm coming for you. I'm like, dude, you, you are already. I went undrafted. You're going to be like a early second round pick. Leave me alone, man. Stop picking on me. Here's what's going to happen, though. This is the beauty of the whole thing. He doesn't know your history. You you better tell him, go back and check my high school basketball film, bud. Quick. Agile. Tight end. This he is, doesn't know your history, man. This is, this is why I keep you around, to boost me up <laughs> like this. Thanks, Ted. I appreciate it, man. No, I do feel confident he's got you at bench press, though. That, uh, that I will say. Yeah, you think? <laughs> God, that's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of people. God, I'm so bad at benching. But um, for for the record, just so you can keep track, I ran a seven three zero three cone, so the L drill, and then I ran oh what was my and then like a seven three seven shuttle, is that no. right? No, faster than that. It was faster than that. Did I go faster than that? It it probably would have been four something four seven. Oh no, yeah, sorry, that's why I meant four oh, four three seven. Sorry, a little uh, okay. dyslexia there. Yeah, there you go. Hold on, let me check. Because, and 437. Because someone said it. My, my agent actually sent it to me the other day because it showed up on his. Okay, here we go. Top three cone time. Yeah, I was a 730 in the three cone. And then I believe I was 437. How about this, uh, this uh, group of guys that were on uh, the three cone list? One of them is not like the other. So... The uh, the number one guy is for some reason they put my full name Gabriel Eichert seven three zero. Listen to the guys after me at that combine seven three four Jake Matthews 
737, Joel Batonio, who just went to the Pro Bowl for the Browns. Uh, 739, Taylor Lewan, who has been to several Pro, Pro Bowls. I'll I'm the only you failure. Don't have a first rounder. I'm the only failure on here. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Unbelievable. <sighs> Frustrating. Okay. Let's get to our interview with Ron Broyles before I talk about my three-cone and short shuttle anymore <laughs> and my failure of an NFL career. Okay. Uh, but first, let's talk money. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit FFB.com for more information. Also, go buy some rock and roll tequila. Rock and Roll Tequila is the ultra-premium tequila that hits all the right notes. It's won all kinds of awards for its superior taste and smooth finish. To find a store that has it, visit rockandrolltequila.com or check out their Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This stuff is fantastic. If you don't want to take our word for it, maybe you'll listen to this guy. This is Coach Bob Stoops. When you're a college football coach, it's important to have an eye for talent. The same holds true when choosing your tequila. When I tried rock and roll, I liked it so much, I decided to become a partner in this Oklahoma-owned company. Crafted in the highlands of Jalisco, Mexico, the smooth taste of rock and roll's triple distilled platinum, our Añejo, called Cristalino, and the incredible premium quality mango tequila are awesome. Our defiantly unique guitar-shaped bottles make it easy to find, and you'll love the ultra-premium quality and taste. No excuses. Make rock and roll your game day tequila. Tastefully rebellious, start the party with rock and roll. It is our pleasure to be joined by one of the best wide receivers in the history of Oklahoma football. He also is a real estate mogul these days, ladies and gentlemen. Ryan Broyles is in the house. RB, what is up, man? Man, life life is good, man. I'm glad to be on the show with you boys, man. Well, I feel we're like glad you're busier to now you. than you were as a football player, man. You're grinding these days. Since when the phone rings, man, you gotta answer. <laughs> you got right? to. Yeah, I gotta maximize the potential for sure. That's so awesome. we're gonna get to the real estate and the budgeting and all of that stuff that you are very well known for now, but you did have quite a Quite a solid football career. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that before we get to what you're doing now. And I wanted to start here, RB, with just how you ended up at Oklahoma because I, I've never really heard the story from you because you were headed to Oklahoma State, right? Everyone was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Oklahoma State's getting them out of Norman. But then you end up at OU and you know, kind of the rest is history when it comes to just how fantastic your career was. But how did you actually end up as a Sooner? Like, what was the story there? Yeah, man, it's, it was a wild time. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, being 17, 18 years old and you're getting recruited by, by these D1 schools, it's, um, it's a game changer, a life changer. There's a lot of pressure that comes with it. So um, after my junior year in, 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 I always say college, in high school, um, just got a bunch of offers, 
OU was not one of them. Oklahoma State came and they offered me well before OU did. Um, I, I believe it was like sometime before the season, maybe during the season, I committed to Oklahoma State. Um, and literally the night it hit the news, Kel Gundy calls me at OU. Keep in mind, they're like the last school that offers me out of 12, 14 offers that I had. Um, and I'm like, you know what? They're in my backyard. I knew they were playing hard to get because they did most of my do like that the year before. Uh, we played right here at Norman High. And so I kind of was just like kind of weird, but I knew that I wanted to go ball. I wanted to play, make, make it to, you know, ascend to the NFL, playing big time games, and then really follow Mark Clayton's footsteps. So I decommitted from Oklahoma State literally a week later to OU. Oklahoma State starts calling me back saying, hey, like, can you not keep your word? What's going on? You had a great official visit. So just naturally, I just felt like I should go with my first word. Well, anyway, went through the whole season. Um, right before signing day, um, I pretty much didn't talk to anybody but Coach Gundy. Um, I show up here at OU and I sign my letter of intent. Um, and shortly after, I called Oklahoma State and said, you know what? I switched. I signed. I just now signed with Oklahoma, which is kind of dirty. Um, they MF me, but still this day, I still talk to Gunnar Brewer, the receiver coach that was, was offered me or that offered me. My mo mother still talks to him. So uh, it, it was a tough decision. I love, I love Oklahoma State, but I, I'm a Sooner, man. Sometimes the hardest thing, like in a situation like that, is, you, and I was going to, did you know kind of all along during that whole senior year that you wanted to go to Oklahoma, but it was just like, um, like just pushing off that you're going to have to break the news? Is that kind of what, what led Honestly, you to? I didn't, I really didn't know. Didn't I, know? I, I did. I, I grew up right here in Norman, Oklahoma. Um, and I'm, I, my mentality is always to be different. So everyone here, you obviously think you're going to play at Oklahoma. I want to be a Texas fan. This was after uh, well, they went to the national championship in 05. I'm watching TV. My dad was a big Cowboys fan. We were big NFL fans, not really college football. So I didn't grow up in as a Sooner. Like we lived down the street from it, but it never touched my heart. Um, so yeah, I never really knew. And then obviously Coach Gunn, he's spending time on the phone saying, hey, Ryan, this is what we can produce. This is who you can become playing big time games and it just started making sense over time. Okay. So before we get to the amazing career, once you get on the field, a little controversy your freshman year, what, what was it like? And, and I know it's funny now to all of us when we bring it up, but back then I'm sure that that was a stressful time for you. You know, the whole, gas pump ordeal that that whole thing and i know people still love to bring it up and then all of a sudden they realized you'd have like 12 catches for 180 and a couple yeah, touchdowns yeah. and they're like maybe we shouldn't have brought the gas thing up <laughs> but what, what was that like for you going through that so early in your college career because it, it had to be tough it was tough man but I wasn't the only one doing it, man, you know? So I was a young cat following <laughs> the big guys, and I'm out here to just call out other people. So when the news did hit, I'm just sitting here, like, looking at Stoops in his eyes, like, all right, I got to take the fall kind of deal, which we didn't talk about it before, but I was, I was in a line of 20 of us, to be real. Just that night, I happened to be by myself. Um, and I've never kept it that real before, but it is what it is. So when I got in trouble, I'm like, okay I did it what everyone else is doing you know but um it was tough obviously you've had people saying hey this guy shouldn't even be here he wasn't even good enough he was the last guy that we offered um and Stoops obviously knew better than that um he saw how I could produce during camp and whatnot 
Uh, but yeah, it was tough with the media. You know, I was getting called thugs and all kind of stuff. But I knew the person that I was. I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. I did, but I didn't because I was just like, hey, I'm in college. We get perks. You know what I mean? I was just being young and naive. But yeah, it was tough. Obviously, sitting out that first year, but I learned a lot on scout team. Uh, Brent V was, you know, I was as a scout team receiver, Brent V on the defensive side. Like, I learned so much from him, um, just the way that he talked about his defenses. And I got to understand what they were looking at in route combinations. So it allowed me to, like, develop as a real receiver. Because a lot of people don't know, coming out of high school, I was being recruited as a cornerback. So my sophomore year, I led the state here in Oklahoma in, in, um, in um, interceptions. And then my junior year, I did the same thing. And so I started getting a bunch of offers as a defensive back. So I was really still learning the game as a receiver when I got into college. Um, and then watching Brent V on scout team saying, hey, these are combinations that I need your receivers to run. And the defense are running their scheme. So I got to learn a lot that first year. So it's almost a blessing. It really is. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is interesting to, to kind of learn it backwards, to, to learn it from the coverage aspect of it instead of from the offensive side. That's yeah. pretty interesting. So for you, I know it's, it's totally different. Some guys show up on campus and mentally and physically can step in and play. Day one, they're ready to go. Other guys, it takes – like we had Mark Clayton on recently and – I absolutely had to have a red shirt year, you know, yeah. absolutely. And, and there's, there's both, both guys. What was it like for you? Do you feel like you were ready the day you stepped on campus or did you get there and be like, Oh my God, I've, I've got some work to do before I'm going to be ready. I, I had so much work. I came in at um, 163 pounds. Um, all we did in our weight room was hand clean squat and bench. And then we would just hit the track and run. So there's a lot of little things I need to learn. So when I got into OU, we're like, listen, Ryan, you need to put on at least 20 pounds to even produce. And I remember I was a slot receiver, and it was just crazy because I'm looking at these big dudes like Kenan Clayton, you know what I mean, or Lewis Baker, and it was just like these dudes are huge. And so they could just stick their arm out and just push me on my, off my route. And so I was like, all right, I've got to do something different, which at the time, you know, you, just, you get in the weight room with Smitty, he's going to put on muscle. And so over time, I'm just chugging these these protein drinks at night, trying to get my calories up. Those Gatorade um, shakes, baby. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't say that I was like I, – I was, I was capable of playing, but could I have been a starter and played the whole season? Maybe not as a freshman. So you, you go through th your redshirt year, and then you're part of that 2008 offense, right? And, and you weren't quite – yet the Ryan Broyles that everyone came to know, right, the next couple of years. But you were an effective piece for that group. L looking back on it, and I know that you come up short in the national championship game against Florida, but looking back on it, just how special was that offense? Just how talented was that group in 08? Man, it's, it, it was a special time. I was actually watching um... – what was it? Not the Big 12 championship, the OU Texas Tech game, the jump around game. I was watching that literally today, all the highlights. And what I was most impressed about was our defense. I don't see our defense running around like that. So it makes sense that our offense was so good because we saw the defense on a daily basis. But man, it was it was special. Obviously, having a Heisman quarterback and Sam Bradford, you got DeMarco Chris Brown on the back. You got um, Phil Laudhall. You got all the Trent Williams. You got all the guys, Big Coop up front. You got Jermaine Gresham. You've got Joaquin Iglesias, Manny Johnson. I can just go down the list. Like these guys were just, they were ready to play. It was, it was Smitty was awesome. You know what I mean? 
granted who you talk to. Obviously, we had a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, depending on your also, definition of offense. Yeah, and then we had, you know, we had um, Kevin Wilson was at the top of his game as an offensive coordinator. And then you got um, Josh Heupel, the quarterback coach. Obviously, Stoops at the pinnacle on the defensive side. So, like, that whole team was just gelled and ready to go. But on offense, man, leading the way with Sam Bradford, like, you, they really couldn't go any – you couldn't go wrong. And we and that was that was the time that we went to the fast-paced offense. So we were just blowing guys out, man, just getting up to the line and just running play after play. And guys were getting tired, and we were just scheming them up, and it was just special. And the thing is, when we went to national championship and we lost, and I was a registered freshman, I literally was like, oh, we're going to be back. I took the game for granted because we were that special. I didn't know. Maybe none of us knew how special we were. We thought we were just going to make it back again, and we never did. What was the preparation like that week? Cause, I mean, obviously, you guys had a ton of confidence. The way you were rolling down the stretch, scoring, what, 60 points in however many games in a row, uh, really confident going into that game. What was the preparation like that week, uh, the, the mindset of the team that week leading up to the game? Was it one of those things where you took the field thinking, we're going to win this thing, we got these guys, or was it – was it one of those weeks where things just for whatever reason didn't click and it was just had a weird feeling to it? I think I would, I would definitely have more thought if I was a junior or a senior, you know, I was just so young and it was just so special to be there. And it was just shits and giggles here and there. I'm going to be back. I got another opportunity, but um, I do remember like we were, we knew that that Florida was, was a great team. Um, there was a lot of controversy that we even got into that game. Cause I want to say Texas was balling that year. We just came off a big win versus, um, Missouri the the week before or a few weeks before and then we beat Texas Tech so there was a bunch of big 12 teams that were in competition to make that game so I remember that was a bunch of controversy but yeah it was it, Coach Stoops is all about his business so it was it was it was essentially the same week we knew we had Tim Tebow we had to produce but what was infor- unfortunate for us is we had um the week before versus Missouri um uh, DeMarco Murray hurt his knee so that's the, really the topic of discussion when everyone, anyone ever talks about that game. How oh, we could have won because of this, but uh, we lost him. But I was, we got backup running backs, Moses. We had um, Chris Brown. It just wasn't enough. And there was some, some plays here and there in the first half that could have gone our way a little bit better. Uh, but those guys flew around, and uh, it, it was a special feeling. Man, I'm just glad I caught the couple, catch a couple balls in that game. I got my jersey with the patch on it, so um, I was there, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, hell, I wish I, I would have done anything to play in a national championship game, and, and I would have been fine. I wouldn't have been fine losing it, but I would just like yeah. to got you. You guys both got to go there. Teddy went a couple times. It's ridiculous. I'm the only one that didn't get to go. But so you have that 08 year, right? And you start becoming key piece of the offense, kind of the back half of that season. H- how tough was the drop off in 09? My it's my redshirt year. You know, we we go from playing in the national championship. Bradford goes down against BYU, and all of a sudden, it's an eight and five year. Now, I will say this: your performance in the Sun Bowl was phenomenal, sir. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it yeah. was so, it, it had to be really weird for you going from that 08 standard, and then all of a sudden, an eight and five season. Oh, it was definitely tough because we had high hopes to come back. We had a lot of guys back, and then Sam Bradford goes out versus BYU. Um, and then young Landry Jones comes up, you know, and it, it was a learning curve for him. It really was for all of us because obviously the year before you have the, the, the morale, you've got all the key pieces coming back and you know which the, the plays that you're going to call and who you're comfortable with. And then Sam Bradford goes out and now you're relying on a, I believe, a redshirt freshman at that time. And it's just 
it made it weird. And, and obviously that whole year we were just clawing just to stay relevant. You know, we missed a lot of pieces and it was just a tough year. But at the end of the day, you know, um, guys just got to go out there and, and put on a show. And I feel like all I could all I could do is just catch the ball when it came. You know, I didn't really have the real pressure. It was Landry Jones and y'all keeping them clean up front. Um, but, yeah, it was a tough year, man. And, and I don't think there was ever a doubt that we didn't think that we could win every game. We just happened to lose five of them. What was your initial thought? You know, obviously Landry goes on to be – the all-time leading passer in the Big 12 and at Oklahoma throws for what 16 over 16,000 yards an incredible career but as a wide receiver what was it like whenever you ran your route you look back and Bradford's on the ground and here comes the training staff like did it hit you what that means like that's your hookup and all of a sudden Everyone remembers they Panda Landry standing there on the sideline with the <laughs> yeah, terrible mustache. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. is that what you were feeling like too? Yeah, because you catch balls from Sam Bradford all the way through the offseason, all the way through Kent and the year before, and you just have that morale. You got that um, – you, you're just connecting on all cylinders, and then your guy goes down, and, and you just don't know what to think. But we're at OU, and the next man's up. And I think Coach Stoops and the other coaches were, hey, it, it doesn't matter who's out here, we're going to produce. And so Landry comes in, and I can't even tell you what that game felt like. I don't even know what happened after Sam went out. Uh, but I do remember the storyline was, oh, he's going to make it back. He's going to have the opportunity of coming back. And so – and then that, he made it back versus Texas and got hurt again. So I think we still had hope that he could still make it back, and that's what kept us producing. And then I think after the Texas game, it was like, okay, well, he's not coming back. And then at that point, Landry, this is your team. Um, and then the guys were like, all right, well, we're going to brace for – the second half of the season, and then next year. That's what it essentially was. Quick break. Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com and tell them we sent you. Also, make sure you stop by Riverwind. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience. There are temperature screenings at all entrances and masks are required for all patrons and employees because your safety is Riverwind's number one priority. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And for March's Kitchen Cash-In, all wildcard members that earn 500 points on their wildcard playing AGS machines will win a continental stand mixer. Let's go. If you need help finding your way, just visit riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply 
the one. Okay, back to the interview. So you have an absolutely massive 2010, right? Something like 1,600 yards receiving uh, 14 or 15 touchdowns. And then you add on your punt return stuff. Just one of the most productive seasons in the history of OU football for a wide receiver. Did you ever think about leaving after that year? And we'll get to the injury in 2011 and all that. And I'm sure, you know, hindsight's 2020, but after you had such a big productive year, was, was there part of you that said, Oh, okay. Hey, maybe it's time for me to move on. Man, I honestly, I did not So I'm, I'm from Norman, Oklahoma. So I, I feel like I've got to tell people that all the time. I see people on the street and they're like, Oh, you still live in Norman. I'm like, I'm from Norman. They don't even know that. Um, so that had a large reason of why I came back. You know, one, I didn't, I wasn't ready to leave. I knew the NFL was going to come at some point. Two, I got a second round grade, which I wasn't happy with. Um, and then three, it was a lockout year. So I didn't know it was, it was there were multiple guys like a Julio Jones, AJ Green. I didn't know if they were going to take four or five guys in the first round. I was like, I don't even, my, my odds are against me. Um, so, and then obviously I knew if I came back, I could break more records. So everything really pointed to coming back. Um, obviously guys can, can leave early and they can go get paid, but that wasn't a thing for me. I'm like, yo, I'm here still at home. My girlfriend, my wife now, my family's here. I'm not the opportunity of being the number, the, the, the best re- receiver ever to play here. So a lot of things were pointing to play here or come back. And then obviously we had the opportunity of playing a national championship again. So a lot of reasons, like I said, just pointed to coming back. Um, and like you said, we'll get on to the, the rest of the story. And I have no regrets of coming back whatsoever. It's been a blessing, and still to this day, business is good because I solidify myself as one of the better players. And obviously, us as athletes, we can attest to that. You know, you being you putting in the time here, and you putting the blood, sweat, and tears on the ground um, there at Owen Field, man, it, it means a lot in the long run. And so I'm I'm happy that, that that I'm not happy that the career ended the way it did, but that decision coming back and being able to hit those tickers, those check marks, you know, and it, it was a special. That's and, and that's a tough decision because, you know, a lot of guys, it's like, do I go? Do I take the money? The, the guarantee, not necessarily guaranteed, but do I take the pro route now or do I wait and achieve something big here? And it's hard to see the end game, the, you know, business relationships and stuff like that that can last forever whenever you really stay and solidify that so it's it's a tough call and it's hard to make it you know 19 20 yeah, well, years I old can say this at that age i wasn't thinking oh if i right. stay the business is going to be good in the end obviously which you can probably never far. tell a kid that and have it really resonate you yeah, know and, just, I, and i can say on the flip side i didn't even know okay you make a million dollars i don't know what a million dollars is at 22 years old you know i know it's money but i didn't have anyone in my circle pressuring me to do anything at 20 you think a million dollars is private jet and yacht money you know well, yeah but it wasn't like <laughs> I, I knew i could produce at this level and it was going to come at some point i never had a parent say hey ryan you need to go take this money so you can protect the family or you can protect yourself it was never any of that there was no pressure and even from the coaching side there was no there was no hey this is your time Mm-hmm. You know, and obviously as a young kid making that decision, if someone did come in my circle and that I that I believed in and said that it, it probably would have been a different story. But I never had anybody saying, yo, you need to take this opportunity. That's really interesting that you just never even really considered it because your numbers 
in that 2010 season. I'll never forget it. I, I mean, they were ridiculous. Probably had a lot to do with the starting left guard, if we're being honest. <laughs> yeah. But sure. it was it was so much fun to to watch you do your thing. But then 2011 comes, right? And I'm sure when you look back on that year, it is bittersweet because you set the NCAA record for receptions. You know, we we have a good season, but just a few weeks later, after you set the receptions record, you tear the ACL against AM. And I don't think I've ever seen a sideline more sad when a player got hurt because we all started uh, we uh, you knew you tore your ACL right away. I mean they yeah, told you yeah. right away. Yeah. And dude, we were crushed. That shit sucked. And I, I, I'll never forget it. I, yeah. It was one of those moments where I just couldn't believe it. I was like, no, there's no way. Not true. That guy, that guy can't get hurt. He's Superman. No way. No way. It was, it was brutal. Uh, so uh, obviously it was tough for you. What do you, what do you kind of remember about that 2011 year? Yeah, man. It just, I remember a lot before that year, like I said, making that decision to come back. And then we went to Haiti with the team. Um, I felt like I was, I was more of a whole person thinking about life in general and not just as a football player going into that season. So it was almost like a God thing that said, Hey Ryan, all right, you're coming back. We went to Haiti. Um, I just felt like it was more than sports my senior year. You know, I actually had a decision to come back. Um, and, and, and I had something to work for to solidify myself as the best athlete or best receiver. So everything was on the up and up, broke the record. You know, I started doing the things that I wanted to do throughout the year. And then obviously I tore my ACL. Um, and it was tough. I remember it. I, I, I see it all the time, like right there on the north or the north side, 40 yard line, catch the ball, jump, turn, twist my knee, pop on the ground, pat on the ground and just like, wow, this is it. Um, but yeah, I just went to the sideline and, and, what was it, Jim and Scott were just like, hey, you tore your ACL. I just broke down. And then literally I go into the locker room, and this is the first game my agent came to, and he's sitting there right next to me in the training room. My wife is there with my girlfriend at the time, and I'm like literally like, yo, like, do I have to get a real job? Like, this is exactly what I'm thinking. Do I have to get a real job? And my agent's like, no, Ryan, you don't. Let's just go rehab and then see what happens. So then it gave me something else to work for. Now I've got to prove people wrong or not even that, prove myself that I could come back from this and still make it. NFL, which has been a lifelong dream of mine. So it was almost like I hit the pinnacle, boom, reset, and then I got to go do it again, which I proved myself that I can make it to the league. Um, so it was, it, it was a tough time, but um, I'm just blessed that I got, I got drafted. You know, there were, time, there, were, there were times where my agent would call and say, you know what, no team's called. Hey, agent called or the, the GM called and said, hey, he might go undrafted. I even had calls saying I was still going the first round. So it was a lot of emotion between November to draft day in April, you know, so it was just, um, but all I knew was I was just going to work and then have an opportunity to play in the league. So how, how did you handle that anxiety? Because, you know, there's anxiety obviously about, oh my God, I'm, I'm not going to be able to play in the NFL. And then you get to catch your breath a little bit after that initial crushing, uh, the emotion of the injury. And then you have your surgery and it's like, what if they screw up the surgery? Right. And then you go into rehab. So what, how, was it just like eight months of, of total anxiety every single day worrying about your future? 
man, honestly did not, I don't think I worried too much. You know, I just like, I'm going to go ahead and attack this. This is what's in front of me. Um, I have to get ready to go have a pro day. So I just went to California and it was really me and my wife just well before the kids. And it was just rehab, workout, eat, sleep. Like that's what I did for three months of my life. And I just knew every day I woke up, I felt better. I felt stronger. So I knew at the end, I'd have the opportunity of going to a pro day. So we did reach out to all the gyms and say, hey, Ryan, I didn't get to produce um, or produce perform at the, um, the combine. So uh, my agent set up a pro day here in town about a month after the combine. So I knew my timeline was about six months out. I could run straight line. I couldn't do too much juking, but I could catch balls. And it was like, all right, well, I'm going to put my best foot forward. Um, so I got to hold my own pro day. So that gave me that carrot at the end saying, hey, Ryan, Five months from now, if you're ready, you get to go show the, the scout. So that was really what was on my mind. It wasn't at that point the initial shock of the ACL going out and not playing football was long gone. It was like, hey, let's get right. Had James Andrews, one of the best ACL doctors, really surgeons in America, or really the world, out of Pensacola, Florida. He did my knee, and I'm like, all right, well, he did that. I've got Jim and Scott. i got my trainers out here in California. I'm in the best hands possible. And then at the end of the day, my mindset was just – I'm going to make this work. And so I just kept grinding. So um, I, I'm always a football. I've always been a football player, but I've always been bigger than the game, man. And Coach Norvell used to hate me for it. He said, Ryan, you got to step up and be a team player. You got to step up and be a leader. And I'm like, listen, I'm just good at football. I, you know what I mean? I'm just good at football, <laughs> but I can, I can do more than this. So I think that kind of helped my whole morale just in, in general, just being a human and being a football player and just really just producing in general. So you go through all of that right in 2011 you know have the surgery you're getting back you have the pro day and then the draft rolls around uh, 54th pick even though you had just your your knee had just blown up you still yeah. go in the second round to the Detroit Lions what what was that feeling like because you had just gone through all that anxiety you know, all the unknown after the injury to hear your name called and hear it called early. Uh, that had to be pretty satisfying. It was special, man. But I'll say this, that my, my draft day would not be the typical draft day for people. So like I said, my agent was like, hey, you could essentially go on draft. You can go first round. You just don't know. I knew the question of day one was out of the picture. TV was not on. Day two I didn't get many calls back from any of the teams. So I met with, I think it was the Patriots. Um, I had a one-on-one -on -one with the Patriots at the Combine, one-on-one -on -one with the Lions at the Combine, and then one-on-one -on -one with, I believe, I believe, the Seattle Seahawks. Um, none of them called us after, after the Combine. So I'm literally thinking, all right, maybe my, my, I might just continue to slip. So day one, the TV's not on. Day two, I'm literally at home. My girlfriend, wife now is next to me, and I'm playing FIFA. And my phone rings from some out-of-state number. And I'm like, oh, geez, who is this? Anyway, I pick it up. And it's, um, I believe it was Mayhew at the Detroit Lions. I said, hey, we're going to pick you with the, the 54th pick. And I don't even have cable at the time. <laughs> don't have, I'm not even watching. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, all right, well, all right, well, thank you so much. And so then I start getting calls saying, hey, did you see Barry Sanders pick you in the draft and then my phone just started blowing up when saw the family and then 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 it was more I was more alive after that for sure well what was it like whenever you first reported there and you walked into the wide receiver room and saw six foot six 250 pound Calvin Johnson as a wide receiver is it was it like what the hell is this guy 
Yeah, like obviously we saw the ESPN highlights, man. Really, I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even, I wasn't even shocked about that. What I was really mainly shocked about was walking into the locker room, walking into that establishment, and thinking, "Wow, we have it so much better at OU." Like that's <laughs> right. my initial right. thought. Like, obviously, you think when you level up, everything's gonna get nicer and shinier. It wasn't the case. So I'm like, did I just go backwards? Well, anyway, you walk in the locker room with Calvin Johnson. It is super special, you know, being in the league with these guys that are potential Hall of Famers, these guys that are making plays on, on Sundays. It is special. And I'm like, wow, I'm really here, you know. So I had to make a believer out of myself. But it's special seeing those guys work. And then they, were, they were professionals. But I'll say this, OU groomed us to be professionals, you know. We, we knew what it took to, to go in a film study, go in and – evaluate our opponent, you know, and really just make sure that we're ready to go on game day. So when I walked into it, it wasn't like a shocker that these guys prepare better than I do or anything like that. Um, some guys just are naturally gifted like Calvin Johnson. Yeah. He, uh, how about this? All three of us played for the Lions. Right. For real. So yeah. that, that is interesting, You're but right. So you play with Stafford, uh, played with Landry, played with Bradford, when you kind of look back on those three guys, well, how do they kind of compare, right? Because three talented guys, three guys that have had a ton of success, uh, you know, yeah. Stafford, the most pro success out of those guys. But when you look back on your football career, you played with some damn good quarterbacks, man. Good players. Yeah. It's crazy. You said, how do they compare? I always get the question is who is better? Who has the better ball? Who has the softest touch? They're all special in their own way, man. Uh, Landry, obviously, he threw me the ball the most. I feel like we always saw eye to eye. Sam Bradford might have the nicest touch. And then Stafford had the strongest arm. But, yeah, I, I've definitely been blessed to, to play with some great quarterbacks, um, Heisman winners, pro bowlers, um, and really just NCAA record holders, you know. So it's, um, it's why you got to OU. So <laughs> everyone makes you look better, right? I feel like – so – I think it's so interesting that you said that you're you always knew that you were more than just a football player. So you just were really good at it. So maybe that the 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 pressure wasn't you didn't put that pressure on yourself, but whenever you look back, is there is there anything that you wish you would have done differently as far as football any just any route you could have taken, any why in the road that you uh, could have tried something different. It, it sounds like you're, you're totally satisfied with everything that you've done football wise. And you knew it was just a step in, you know, in the road of your, of your life. But yeah. do you look back and, and wish that anything would have been different? I would anywhere? say the one thing is, and you guys can attest to this when you work out with Smitty, right? It's, it's find a way big dog. It's, um, <laughs> Oh, you're not hurt. You're not sore. Let's keep going. Let's push the limits. I would say after I tore my ACL, I wish I did not have that mentality because I would have gone slower. I may not have even played my rookie year, but I'm like, let's find a way, big dog. And I still say it today, even in my business meetings, find a way, like just find a way, you know, mm -hmm. and it's just imprinted in our mind. So I wish Come I on, did big not dog. have that, but it's what allowed me to be who I am today and even produce the way I did. I couldn't imagine I would have been a, a, as good at football if I did not have that mentality. You could just go out there and whiff on a block. Well, it doesn't matter. Well, Smitty, find a way, big dog. It's in your mind, right? So if I could have somebody say, hey, Ryan, it's cool to chill out. You're good. Take your time. So now with my boys, I'm, I've been there. I've done that. So if they're ever in that position, 
I'm going to be able to say, hey, chill out, bro. Chill out, son. You know what I mean? So that would be the biggest thing. But I could have I could have left my, my junior year, went to the league, got second round money again and tore my ACL. There's really no telling. Now, it's right. a blessing. It'd be a whole different story if I went undrafted, right? Well, I still got the second round grade, second round draft pick. So I don't feel like I lost a step when it came to the finances and being picked where I felt like I was deserving of being picked. Um, but yeah, sometimes you just got to slow down. But even in the business world today, I don't just find a way, man. If they're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. You know, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, there's no doubt. Quick break. March is here and the madness has officially begun. It's time for you to shoot your shot and score big on the nonstop action with my bookie. Select the winners from 63 tournament games in the MyBookie Bracket Contest for a chance at $10,000 in cash prizes, and it's only a dollar to enter. It doesn't matter whether you are filling out multiple brackets, betting the national championship winner, or simply looking for player and game props, MyBookie has you covered. Sign up today at MyBookie.ag and use promo code OKLAHOMA to secure a deposit bonus up to $1,000. That's promo code OKLAHOMA to claim your first deposit bonus. College ball, NBA, and NHL, no matter the sport, no matter the minute, from tip-off to buzzer, my bookie puts the action in your hands with in-game live betting. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Also, make sure you contact our friends at Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. Their licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. All right. And don't forget to send your children to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. They know that children need to be in school and are doing everything possible to make that happen. Bishop McGinnis students were welcomed back last August and saw very few interruptions in 2020. With a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. Okay, back to the interview. Now, when you look back on your pro career, and you had some good moments as a pro, I mean, some big games as a pro, just how frustrating were all the injuries? Because it, it really just did pile up for you where, hey, you get back and then what was the knee, Achilles, like it just really added up for you. And I, I can only imagine just how much that pissed you off. It, it was definitely tough. And I just went through a cycle where it's just like, hey, this is my life. It's rehab, play, get hurt, rehab, play, get hurt. And so even after the first ACL, I remember how much work it was down there in California just to get ready for the pro day. And I'm just mentally worn out. Now, obviously you get fresh some days, but then it's like, man, my knees hurt. Now I got to go sit in the training room. And so I went through four years of that. So after every injury, it's like, you know what? I love the game, but like, I can't keep doing this. You know what I mean? And so really ultimately after I told my Achilles, the last one in Detroit came back one more season and I was like, you know what? I'm done. My body, I, I can't afford, not can't afford, but 
I can't do another mental training through the off season when all the boys are out there on the beach. I didn't have an off season forever for four years straight. So mentally it's like, that sucks. But now obviously if you can't produce on the football field, it is tough. You know, I feel like I left a lot on the table. Um, well, if I wasn't hurt, I would have been a completely different player. Now who's to say that running a four five with an ACL or four five without the ACL, if I can go get open. I don't know. Like, that's always going to be in the back of my head. Say I never got hurt. Could I still get open? I don't know. I just didn't have that opportunity. Now that I have ACLs, I got open time and time again, uh, but it just wasn't at the level that I needed to be in. And after every ACL, you start losing the love for the game. You start getting resentful. And then, obviously, the, they bring in new players, and you're just kind of clawing and scratching. And it just got to the point where I'm like, you know what? it's time, you know, your body starts to slow down, your mind starts to slow down. You're not as excited to do the things anymore that you used to. Um, so I think it was just kind of a ticking time bomb after the, the first ATL. What's it like to watch all the, the young bucks at OU uh, get drafted and, and put up big numbers? Cause I, I feel like you're one of the, there's a legacy and there's a foundation at wide receiver at Oklahoma and, you're one of the you're one of the godfathers. You're one of the guys that we talk about. And now in the recruiting world, it's known that Oklahoma is one of the places to go for wide receiver. It, it, are you proud whenever you see some of those guys go out there and kind of continue that legacy? Oh, yeah, sweet. I see every year one of those guys will hit me up and say, hey, we're watching film on you this year or this day. And I'm like, yo, that's special. Like, they might touch me one time for the year, but it is special knowing that they still watch my film. And even when I was there, I watched Mark Clayton's film, Malcolm Kelly's film, um, Josh Norman's film. So it's just it's nice that those coaches continue to to rerun some of the older grades. So you have somebody to look up to. So even when I go on the sidelines, guys that I've never talked to before, they'll just come dap me up and say, hey, well, we saw you out there. Good stuff. You know what I mean? So it's special to be a part of that. Um, and it's special to see those guys go out there and continue to ball. You know, it's crazy when I look at I watch film or not film, watch game days. And I'm like, man, I could do that. But I'm 32. I could not do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm like, these dudes out here 22 years old, but I do. I still turn on the, the screen. I'm like, you know what? I could do that. But no, I can't. You know, so it's special to live through those guys. So what kind of stands out to you? Because you're, you're one of the more cerebral guys that I played with at OU. And maybe a lot of people don't know that. Like just how high your football IQ was and I still talk to people about your unbelievable sense of space and how it's one of the most impressive things I'd ever seen from a wide receiver is just your natural ability to understand where the openings in a defense were you just had this this natural ability for it but when you watch OU's offense now, when you watch Lincoln Riley's system, what kind of stands out to you because I, I know you're a guy that still loves the game and you you always enjoyed kind of the mental aspect of it well Lincoln man he's a mastermind he he knows where to, to take his shots when he needs to he keeps the defensive coordinators off balance and obviously he has the weapons to do that um, but I, I remember when I left and D.D. Westbrook was was playing and I think I was commentating with student sports at the time I just started seeing how he saw the game it was either this side of the field that we're going to focus on this side of the field or right down the middle. So I remember multiple times he used to hit it big with D.D. Westbrook by rolling Baker Mayfield out either one way. The safety kind of gets greedy. He overlaps on the wrong side. 
um, or overplays it in your backside one-on-one with the corner that usually shouldn't even be in the deep third. So he was just a mastermind, just understanding how the game worked. And he really just speak on top of that. When I played receiver and you're talking about space, I was never a guy where they said, hey, Ryan, you've got to run a 12-foot curl or a 12-yard curl. If I'm open at 10, I'm open at 10. I'm stopping there. Like, I was always that type of player. If I got to run a 15-yard dig and I'm open at 13, I'm, I'm going 13. Whereas the defense thinks, okay, he's getting a 15. Defense thinking on a curl, he's getting a 12. No, that's why I always had space because I was cheating. I guess that's what I was saying. And the quarterbacks understood that. But um, Lincoln knows spacing. He knows how to the, – the mismatches. He knows how to – he's just one step ahead of the defensive coordinator, man. And obviously we have superior athletes. I think that's awesome. So whenever you you see the spot, it's like, I'm open now. I'm not going to be open at 15. And you hook up and you turn around. You've got to have someone else that speaks the same language, that sees it too before it happens. And you know, the like, because you can't run a curl and just stand there. Yeah. You know, they're going to close in on you. So what's it like whenever you have the quarterback that sees it too? And you guys are like, it's like you're you're seeing the same thing and on the same wavelength compared to whenever you don't have that guy and they and don't see the brilliance of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so everything's timing as, as a quarterback position, three step drop, you're either going 12, 12, 15 yards. If you're going five step drops, you're going deep down the field. So if, if I'm running a curl route, right. And the cornerback's already 12 yards off the ball, naturally he's going to back up. So I know I have about two, three seconds to get to my spot because the quarterback is dropping three steps. I can run as fast as I want and then turn around to what before I'm open or too quick. Are or you I visualizing pace, the quarterback's drop? My, well, I, it's just a timing thing. Like, it's right, already three ingrained. steps top. I've got a curl. I know I need to get there in three and a half seconds. All right. Well, I'll either pace myself to get there at three if it's, if it's man and I got to get fast and get them off and then I'm there at three seconds. So it's really about timing and really not the distance is the way I see it. So I know it's a little too much, but um, it, it's, it's just a timing thing. Now, obviously, if somebody's blitzing, I got to turn that three-second round into a two-and-a-half, two-second round. And so I felt like I had the IQ. Obviously, the quarterbacks had the IQ to make that work. Um, but, yeah, it was just, it was, it was, it's about timing, feeling, and it, it, it definitely helps the, the, the quarterback to trust a receiver like myself so they're always looking at me or the number one receiver. So you can get away with a lot of things. Now, uh, I don't want to keep you too long, RB, but I, I could talk football with you all day because uh, the, uh, my career and your career, the, a lot of overlap there, but you were still playing in the league, and all of a sudden, you became super famous for living on a budget. And w- what was that like? Were you surprised by all the press that that got because it really did blow up and it almost became part of the NFL's curriculum, how to teach guys some, you know, some financial responsibility and you you were doing interviews about it. Were you surprised that it became such a big deal? Yeah, because it's crazy how that, how it came about. So obviously I was at Detroit for about three years and you know, as an athlete, you have some reporters that like you, some that don't like you. Well, anyway, the guy that did the report on me, he came at me crooked. So, for instance, I'm about to get cut, right? We're in training camp. I know this is my last out. He knows it's my last out. So he comes to me and says, hey, Ryan, like literally, hey, Ryan, so what are you going to do next? And we've got three games left in preseason. There's four preseason games. 
The last one really doesn't mean anything, but you got to produce the first three. We're on preseason one. He's asking me, so what are you going to do next? Like kind of slick. I'm like, what do you mean? What am I going to do next? He was like, well, like, how are you going to like essentially like make money when you're not playing football? And I'm like, well, let me tell you this. So then I went from, I read this stock book. I read this real estate book. And then he was just got intrigued. And then I just went on to my budget and it wasn't like, it wasn't premeditated. It was like, Oh, you're going to do that. Well, this is what I've been doing over the last four or five years. And so then he got intrigued, wrote the story. And even still to this day, every two years, he'll come back and write a new story. He was, he was, he felt some type of way. I felt some type of way, but I think it was a good educational piece for a lot of people. Um, did I think I was going to be a finance guy? No, but was I going to do real estate when I was done? For sure. Um, so now I just, I got to, I, I, that identity just kind of presented itself. And then I was like, you know what? People gravitated towards that. Um, so I started studying more personal finance, which I already enjoyed before. Um, so now I just get to go share the story all because he was uh, trying to be rude, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I could say better words than that, but you know what I mean. Well, he was being an like, asshole. Awesome. Right. Yeah. Well, do you feel like now, I mean, you've done really well. You do fantastic in real estate. Do you feel like now, well, well, damn, if I want to splurge, I got that 60,000 number that everyone's always going to hold me to. <laughs> well, no, I've, I've got two kids now. You know what I mean? I got a, a nicer house and a cars, but I, I'm still, geez, there's a lot of people that spend a lot more money than me and make a lot less. I'll tell you that. So naturally it's just in me. I am a future minded person. I think about the future often. I think about my parents' medical bills. You know, I think about my kids' scholarships. If they don't get a scholarship, um, I think about my retirement at 32 years old. So I, I definitely think about the future. Um, and really, whatever I made in the league, I don't even see that in my bank account. I don't even see that as my net worth. It's like, what am I going to do today to make more? And so I'm living as if I'm broke to get more, whereas I'm in a good position. But that's just naturally in me. Okay. So – Obviously, a lot of people that listen to this podcast are big OU fans. They are big fans of you. So how can they support you in your real estate stuff? Like, uh, this, this is the time you get to plug whatever <laughs> yeah, you want to yeah. plug, RB. You, you get yeah. to say, hey, because I, I do think people like being able to do business with, you know, some former OU football players, and you're one of the more successful guys in the business world right now that played at Oklahoma? Yeah, well, I guess if it's a plug, and I, we own 45 rental properties now. Um, we bought our first one in 2012. Um, we sell real estate for buyers and sellers to help buyers and sellers sell real estate over the last year. Um, I like to talk real estate, economics, personal finance. You can find me on any social media change at, at Ryan Broyles. Um, I love what I do. I love to educate people and I love to help people assist people in making money in the real estate world. Um, so that's what I do. And so I, watch, I still watch the games, you know, I've got a restaurant on campus corner. So if you guys are ever out there at the porch, let's have a drink, shoot the breeze and, and, and enjoy life. Right. Go eat and drink at the porch and Make Ryan Broyles your real estate agent, people. That's that's we what go. we just learned. <laughs> there we go. Hey, man, yeah. this was awesome. It was super fun catching up with you. It's been a while, it but has. It has. Uh, it, it's so much fun seeing you have the amount of success you're having after football. It's it's awesome, man. Appreciate it. Well, I, I enjoy it. It's good to be back home in Norman. I appreciate y'all, boys. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, Appreciate yeah. you. All right, we'll see y'all.
Brian Broyles was such a good player. I mean, he was, and I always love talking football with him, Ted, because he just, he, he had a very complex understanding of the game, but also some of the things he said, and he talked about it a little bit in the interview. I don't know why I just said the, the word interview that way. That was weird. But he, he would just say some things where you were like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Why do, why do other people not talk about the game like that? Like, he never ran routes to get covered. Right. And you heard him talk about, Hey, if I was open at 13, okay. I was open at 13. It's on to the court. It's on the quarterback to understand that I am not going to run to get covered. I'm going to run to space and find the opening. And I, I really don't think any player that I've seen was better at just understanding how to get open. He, he was fantastic at it. Yeah. A couple of things that really stuck out to me. And I think one of them was his redshirt year playing wide receiver and running routes and listening to Brent Venables and the coaching points to the coverage. So understanding what they're trying to do and how they're trying to do, to defend different routes and kind of gaining some insight off of that. And the other thing was, you know, talking about the, the drop of the quarterback and the timing of, of the route and the spacing. And, and I, I asked him if he visualizes the quarterback and he said, no, but I'm, I'm thinking that he visualizes it mentally through timing because he, he talked about the hot routes in the, the blitz. So feeling the, the quarterback and the pressure that they're under and where they're at in their drop and trying to get yourself to a certain depth at the pro- proper time because he's talking about Sometimes he would be burning out of there. Other times he would throttle out to try and arrive at that spot at the proper timing. I just think it's a, a really – I've never heard it broke down like that from the receiver standpoint. It makes perfect sense. And, you know, he had a quarterback that found out really quickly that this guy has a knack for getting open. I'm going to learn his mannerisms and his timing and figure out a way to be on the same wavelength. Absolutely. Still such a damn shame that he had the injuries that he had. He, I, I'm convinced he would have been a great pro, but he's doing pretty well for himself with the whole real great, estate man. thing. So really well. it's good to see. And on that note, episode 93 in the books, we'll have a new podcast that'll drop Monday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. You can hear me from 3 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio Channel 375. Hope you all have a great weekend. Until next time. We appreciate y'all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.
just one more time.